Hey, welcome. Great to have you. You guys stand with me. We're going to read the Word of God together. Make sure 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, if you guys are joining us online at home, be sure to have the Word of God in your hands. We're going to read chapter 8 together, and then we're just going to ask God to show up this morning, stir our hearts for Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he's known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom, all, uh, through whom are all things and, and through whom we exist. Verse seven, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Father, would you help us uh, know your heart this morning? I pray that our hearts would be changed and transformed to think and see the way that you do. Let us have your heart when it comes to the way that we see the world. Let your word come alive in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um. I don't know how many of you got married younger versus got married older. I was a little bit older. I was 28 years old and got married. And so what happens is when you live 28 full years doing your own way and you kind of get some things figured out, you kind of decide, like, I've, I've got most of life figured out. I think this is how the thing should go. Uh, and then you get married and then you find out that there's someone else who has a totally different perspective. The problem is I've been going for 28 years. My one way and it kind of works. And so one of the very first lessons I learned early on in marriage was this. You can be totally right about something and be totally wrong at the same time. And what I mean by that is this. You can have, listen, you can have all kinds of conversations and disagreements and arguments and all those kinds of things. And you can find yourself very possibly even on the right side of an argument. But the way in which you go about your rightness is key. Okay? 
And all the people who've been married, they're all snickering. And the truth is, you don't even have to be married, right, to know this. This is a relationship thing. This is, you got friends. There is a way you can be right and fully be wrong because you're so stinking puffed up in your rightness, all you're doing is bearing down on the other person across the aisle to make sure they know your rightness. And then after you come out of the, you know, you come out of the, the disagreement, you're like WWE, you're like, yeah. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Y'all, did y'all ever do that? Or maybe just in your hearts you did that? Don't act all holy. I know you, okay? All right? This is what happens, and this is a little bit at what's at issue here in this moment. And what we're going to discover is, listen, you're more than just what you know, and, and our lives are m- much, much more than just transactions, doing good things or doing bad things, doing right things, doing wrong things. That there is a whole thing going on inside of you that God cares so much more about than, the, uh, than what you might think is the right outcome or the way that we often see the right outcome. And what God wants to come and deal with in his church is the arrogance in your rightness. Because that's not going to actually benefit or bring life to the people around you. It's not going to bring life to the body. And so when you find yourself in a place of arrogance, even in your rightness, God's going to say, nope, that's not how we do this, simply because that's not what I do with you. God's the most right there ever has been, and never once has has he been an arrogant jerk. Never once has he lorded it over us. But what we're going to find is that God's looking into the heart, and he's asking the question. Here's the question he's going to ask. Do you really love people? Do you really love them the way that I love them? Because I care less about you winning your arguments with respect to this issue of conscience, what we'll talk about, and I care more about how you love your neighbor well. That's what I care about. It's what I want to see. And so Paul's going to make this summary statement at the very beginning of this text, and he's going to lay it out really clear for us. Here's what he says. And this, over this issue of food to idols, we know that all of us possess this knowledge, but knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know what he ought to know. What he's saying is, if you think you know stuff, let me tell you, you don't know stuff. But if anyone loves God, he's known by God. So here's the two principles he's going to put out in front of us. Knowledge puffs up. Everybody say, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Everybody say, love builds up. Okay, so what Paul's going to point to is there's something that God's going after over these issues that we find ourselves fighting about. And what I'm most concerned about is where the heart of love is. That even if you think you know it all, you don't know the half of it because the most important thing is that the love of God is in you and the love of God is coming out through you. 
Now, let me break down exactly what this argument is about, just so we kind of have a general understanding. It's 1 Corinthians 8. Paul's addressing this issue of food that's being offered to idols, and in this case, meat that's being offered to idols, right? The Corinthians had come out of this pagan background. They used to, or these Christians used to worship idols, and they believed that meat was inherently demonic. And what they would do is they'd bring their meat to the God and sacrifice it before him, make their act of worship, and that that God would drive out the demons out of the meat and then bring his presence on the meat. And therefore, now the meat was okay to be eaten. It had now been ceremonially cleansed. That would make it right. And they had grown up their entire lives doing it that way. In fact, you, you would be hard-pressed to find food that had not been in some way dedicated to one of these idols, And so the Corinthian believers who had more knowledge were saying, well, listen, here's what we actually know. We know these idols, they're not not real. We know that as followers of Jesus, these idols are a joke. They're a farce. So just eat the meat. It's not a big deal. There's no issue here. But these younger Christians who were trying to get their mind around it, they'd spent their whole lives sacrificing and dedicating this food to these idols that they knew not to be true any longer. And they're going, I can't eat that meat. It would be wrong. This has been dedicated to a false God. It's been offered to an idol. So it's like I'm worshiping this idol and I don't want to do that anymore. And the knowledgeable Christians are looking at him going, just eat it. It's not that big a deal. You should know the right way. And there's this friction that's going on in the church. And so these guys who have the knowledge of what's actually happening, they they have a right understanding that these idols are nothing. They're coming with this, if you will, unloving counsel to these guys who don't fully understand. Their consciences have less of an understanding about what's actually happening. And so Paul wants to address within the church and even in our lives through the Holy Spirit, wants to address the issue of conscience. So what are we talking about? Conscience is the issues that we wrestle through and have to decide that are around things that are not explicitly stated in the word of God. So if you will, if you were here last week, last week we got to talk about some definitive areas where God wanted to bring clarity and life and boundaries. We talked about sexual immorality. We talked about actually several arenas. He said, there's clarity around this. This is what's going to bring life to you, and this is where my heart is. So I'm going to bring this to you. But as sure as assuredly as there is one of those issues in which God says, here, I want to paint these boundaries so that you, I bring life, so that you experience life in me, there are now hundreds of issues and decisions that we get to make that are not explicitly spoken to in the word of God. And the question is this, what do we do with those things? And we all experience this. What do we do with the things that aren't explicitly written about in the Bible? What do we do with those issues? How do we navigate those questions? And the church has been wrestling with this, of course, for a long time, and they certainly were wrestling with it in this moment. And he's trying to address this matter of conscience. 
and he's trying to help those who have a deeper understanding. So let me put it this way. If you've walked with Jesus, you've grown in depth of faith, you have new and fresh convictions about what the Holy Spirit has put in your life, about how to live before the Lord and how to honor him with your life. What's easy to do is as we gain and grab those convictions and we go, these are the things that I, ways in which I want to walk in my life. What we find ourselves doing is we set up a structure and then anyone who's not fitting the structure, we have a real problem with. And what we stop doing is actually caring about the person who doesn't have the same conviction and we want to push them into our construct on all of these areas and issues. And Paul's saying here, listen to these guys, yeah, you're right. These idols aren't really gods. They're carved stone. It's empty. But that's not the point. The point is you're using your knowledge and you're not thinking about your brother at all. that these brothers didn't feel right yet in their understanding to be able to consume this meat that was being sacrificed to idols. They felt like it was wrong. And instead of walking with them, they wounded them. They came with their high opinion about what I think is right, what I believe to be true. And they they were, in fact, I think Paul's actually saying they were right in their perspective, but the way in which they went about it hurt others. And he asked the question, Why would you do that? What's the win? What's the point? Why would you do that to your brother? Now, listen, this feels like a weird argument. I mean, this issue over food sacrifice to idols, we don't really have that much anymore. But I gotta be honest with you, it exists out there. I I, I just, I was in my, I think it was my junior year of college. And I'm sitting in, um, I don't know what they call the big area where you go to hang out and eat. The quad, I don't know. Cafeteria, I don't know. It was a big area, it was open. It's all the people hung out there in between classes. What? <clears throat> so I'm just sitting there, I'm reading my book. It's like how to be a, I can't even remember what the book was. I think it was like how to be a better man of God or whatever. I, anyway, I was reading the book um, and a guy comes up to me and he's like, starts challenging me. You don't really know God. And you don't actually know what it means to follow God. You don't know repentance. And we start, and, and we start getting into this argument. And I, he's, he's actually arguing um, from a, a fundamental uh, uh, Jewish perspective. He, was, uh, he wasn't Jewish, but he had converted, basically. And what he wanted to let me know is that I didn't really know the true God. And so we were having this dialogue and I'm like, you know, irregularly just asking the question, Lord, you know, help, help me make a difference. And this guy's wanting to get into this argument. I want to help him see Jesus. And he wants to help me see that not Jesus. And we're having this conversation. I'm going, hey, I'd love to have more of this conversation. Could I, could I buy you lunch? Could we, could we just sit down and talk about this instead of like going back, kind of back and forth? I just would love to sit and talk with you through this. And so actually what I was like is like, can I buy you a Chick-fil-A sandwich? Because we all know that Chick-fil-A is Jesus' food. <laughs> That's how you're going to get them. <laughs> through the Chick-fil-A. So, and you know what he said? He said, well, I bet you're going to bless that 
chicken sandwich in the name of Jesus, aren't you? And I was like, I generally am thankful to the Lord for all of the sandwiches. But yeah, so in that sense, I've blessed the Lord for this chicken sandwiches. And he was like, I don't want your Jesus chicken sandwich. And I'm going, this is 1 Corinthians 8. This guy does not want to eat food blessed to another God. I'm like, this, it's 1999, which is, makes me a little bit old. But I'm going, this is 1999. What's happening? Are we really fighting over this? But here's, here's what this actually comes down to. It's really, let's be honest, this is not about food or it's not about chicken sandwiches. People who have deep beliefs, they carry those deeply. And what happens is, is if they feel like you're trying to come against their deep beliefs, it becomes a very personal thing. And the truth is, we live in a world now where the opinions and the attitudes and the thoughts about a number of things are at an all-time high. And the issue might not be the chicken sandwich anymore, but it is, and it may not be the, idol, the food sacrifice to idols, but there are many issues that are not explicitly spoken to in the Bible that Christians and non-Christians have come to. And Christians inside, guys inside of the church fighting and people outside of the church fighting and people in the church and outside of the church fighting. And it's rampant across the scope of the world right now. And Paul is waving his hands to say, this is a unique and tender moment. And what we have got to do as the people of God is to ask the question, what does Jesus want in this conversation? What is Jesus looking for in all of these issues that aren't explicitly spoken to, these issues around conscience? That's what he's asking. And he's asking, how do you see your brother or sister that you disagree with, that you might even have deep disagreement with on issues that we can't totally know because the scripture doesn't always speak explicitly to it. And we could go down the list. It would, and it would, even as I go down the list, it could create a lot of awkwardness because there are many that believe if you believe this way, then you have to vote this way. Or if you believe this way, you have to put this on your face. Or if you believe this way, you don't put that on your face. If you believe this way, you have to get this shot. If you believe this way, you don't get this shot. And these, these ideas and these thoughts are coming out left and right. And the, the rancor has been turned up. And I've seen it inside of the church. And I've seen it outside of the church. And I've seen it across the aisle, all the way around. And you have all of these issues in which the scripture doesn't explicitly speak to it. And the, qu the question that Paul's asking is, I'm less interested in you having the exact and perfect right way, and I'm more interested in asking the question, do you care about the person you're speaking with? Do you actually care about their heart and their soul? Do you want to help lead them to the king of the universe? What's really in the nature of the argument? 
Because you might be totally right in what you're thinking. You might be right on. I mean, totally in line with God's heart. But if you're out to win the argument and not to win your brother or sister, then you fundamentally misunderstood why we're here. It's what he wants to do in our lives. And, you know, mankind's been struggling with this from the get-go. We've been struggling with trying to get people to line up with our way, looking at the outside and not the inside. You know, when Israel uh, first, you know, as Israel becomes a nation, they go, you know what? We're tired of having to fight these battles. We want a king. We want a king to cover us. And God says, you don't want a king. It's going to bring, it's going to be really tough on you. Just let me, trust me to cover you. And they said, no, everybody else has a king. We need a king. And he says, okay, this is what often the Lord does when we, when we argue against the Lord. He goes, okay, I, I love you so much. I'm going to give you what you want because I know you're going to be coming back to me soon. This is what the Lord does just throughout the scripture. He gives him a king. He's horrible. <laughs> His name is Saul. He's got like two seconds of like doing decent and then it just goes downhill quickly. And so the Lord says, but I love my people. So I want to give you a good king. And so he goes over to a guy named Jesse's house. Jesse's got a whole bunch of sons. And Jesse says, okay, God's coming through the prophet. And I, so I'm going to line up my firstborn son. He looks good, strapping, strong, right? First Samuel 16, they came and they looked at, on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, the prophet who's here, he goes, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Listen, this is the principle for all time. Whether it's naming kings or arguing the issues, what God wants to look at is a heart that's submitted to him. He's got a different way of looking at people. You can look, literally look around. In fact, just take a look around the room. Everybody just look around the room. Just look around. Just look, look around. You guys at home, scroll up and down Facebook or whatever you're doing. <laughs> Easiest thing in the world is to look around and make judgments. The easiest thing in the world is to look around and to say, well, this person looks this way and therefore they're that, or this person has that fashion accessory or whatever the thing is, right? The easiest thing in the world is to look on the outward and make a judgment. And the Lord's saying, I don't live that way. I don't do that. Everyone's made in my image. I'm looking at the heart. And that's, not only does he do that, but this is what he's inviting us to do. He's inviting us to look past the surface and to look into the heart, to love people well. And the conflict that we have going on inside of us is, I feel really frustrated with the people that don't agree with me about this issue of conscience that I feel very strongly about. And I feel I might be standing on really solid ground on this belief that I have, on this political issue or on this social issue or on whatever the thing is. I feel deeply about this issue and it's none of that's wrong. The question is, how do we treat the brother on the other side of the, the aisle, if you will? Political, religious, social, it doesn't really matter. 
What we want is for them to see the rightness. And what God wants is their whole heart. That's what he wants. We want to win arguments. God wants to win hearts. He wants their heart. He wants their soul. He wants their mind. He wants their strength. He wants the whole thing. That's what he's going for. So he's less concerned about the issue and more concerned about the heart. And he's looking for a beautiful people that are willing to go with him and say, I want to go for people's hearts. That's what I want to go reach. It's what I want to run after. It's what we want to be about. It's what Paul says in verse 13. uh, This is so powerful because he goes, if food makes my brother stumble, then I'll never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Paul loved these, if you will, weaker brothers who didn't fully understand their identity in Christ. And he looked at them and he saw that if it was going to cause these guys to stumble, then I just won't, I won't eat the meat because I care about them. He's literally like, like, if this is an issue for you, I'm vegan. Let's do this thing. And let me tell you, if you're a meat eater and you go vegan, all right, there's miracles and signs and wonders happening, okay? God's, pres- God's, pr- God's powered presence are available, all right? I feel that. I'm like, you're a crazy person. You, what you want to say is, hey, get it right. What you want is to get it right. And that's not what Paul's saying. He's actually just going, I just care so much that you know Jesus. I just will throw it. It's just not that important. There's just this, this is the most important thing. And this is what the church is meant to carry. This is, what, this is the voice the world's desperate for. And we're the only actually ones who have the truth, the actual real truth. And we're meant to lead this way. This is what is true of our lives. Verse 11, Paul says, And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. And so he's he's pushing on this. With your knowledge, you're hurting your brother for whom Christ died. And then if that's not enough, he says then in verse 12, thus sinning against your brothers, wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. So he just wants to elevate the issue and say, there's something more important that's going on here. And are you willing to go there with the Lord? And so Paul wants to make his heart available to bring his brother along. Why? Because he loved them. Because he was able to see them the way that Jesus sees them. This is my brother for whom Christ died. So how do I love him well? How do I love him well? Because hear this, listen. When you love someone with a full heart in Christ, you're never wrong. We'll say that again. When you love your brother or sister in Christ with a full heart, you never end up being wrong. And that doesn't mean that we don't get to correct in love or shepherd in love or even rebuke in love. All of these things are true when you walk in true and real relationship. But all of it has to come with authentic love. This is the principle that he lays out for us in Romans chapter 12. He says, listen, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. 
Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. Here's, here's what Jesus is laying down for us. Your aim in whatever discussions and conversations that you're having on these matters of conscience, this is your aim. Love them with genuine love and you seek to outdo in showing honor. Let me tell you something right now. Our entire political discourse would change if this was the attitude that we were coming with. Not that we can't have disagreement, but that the aim of our lives is to outdo in showing honor. It's what we're about. This is what we're called to. If I'm going to win anything, it's making sure that even in matters where we disagree, you come away knowing that you were loved and, and, and valued by me. That people never, ever have to ask the question whether or not you actually cared about them. And so here's the question, and we'll finish with this. How, how do we do that, right? H how do we do this? When we feel really strongly about something, you got someone that's in your family that's on the exact opposite side of this issue. You're trying to figure out like, well, Thanksgiving is coming. And I feel like flinging mashed potatoes, right? But Christ in me doesn't fling mashed potatoes, all right? What does he do? What's the secret to loving others, even those that we might disagree with as in a matter of conscience? What's the secret? You want to hear the secret? Are you all ready for this? You ready for this? Oh, you, you got to get wrecked by the love of God first, period. All right? This is the secret. This is, this is, yeah. Somebody say wrecked. That was, that was passionate. Okay. All right. <laughs> you got to get wrecked by the love of God first because you can't give away what you don't have. Hear this. Whatever radical love we're supposed to have for all the people, all the time, which feels like, I can't do this. This is daunting. It's impossible. Guess what? You don't have to worry about doing that. What you actually have to worry about doing is getting undone by the radical love of God and knowing who you are in Christ. Because when you know who you are in Christ, guess what? You don't even actually have to win the argument. <laughs> when you know who you are in Christ, you don't have to go into a boxing match emotionally and spiritually. When you're anchored in Christ, you get to stand and offer the love of God. You can be fully confident in where you stand on all the issues, but that's not what's most important. What you know is I'm just loved by the Father. He loves me. He's for me, never against me. And my future is secure. So I'm able to come to you with a heart of love. I'm able to come to you with an outstretched hand saying, let's go there. I'm with you and I'm for you. This is what the Lord wants to do. Can't outdo someone in showing honor until you've been truly inundated with the radical love of a king who wanted you and wanted to bring you and adopt you into his family. 
who said, I want you to come and live with me. I want you to come and live in my kingdom. I want you to come and live in my palace. Literally, I want you to live in my palace with me forever. I'm adopting you. You were lost. You were broken. You had politics as your hope. You had social issues as your hope. You had all the things. You had people and relationships and all the stuff as your hope. And none of it landed for you. None of it satisfied. And I was the king that said, all the... All of those things will leave you empty, but come with me and I'll, I'll, I'll find rest for your soul. I want you to have every good thing that's ever been withheld from you because you have it in me. Every way you were rejected and hurt, every way that you've been lied to or abandoned, every way that you have been alienated or left alone, every ounce of that I've covered, it's gone and you now have a new identity in me. This is what it means to be loved by the king of the universe. Because I give you me. I give it all. All the love, acceptance, joy, peace, power, life, rest, hope, all that you want and desire, it's in Jesus. He's got all of it. And it's not just someday, it's now. That's what we're meant to be functioning in now. That's the call. He's saying, I love you. I'm your father. And when you know that, you get to function in full freedom in this life, loving people well. Not winning arguments, winning people to my family. This is what we're about. I'm gonna ask our team to come up. We're gonna finish out. Father, we just wanna come before you in this moment. We just want to set our gaze on you for this hour. We live in this world in which there's so much fighting. There's so many hot takes and opinions and so many things going on. And we just want to faithfully put our, set our gaze on you just for a moment and just ask the question, are we really fully loved? Is our identity fully anchored in you? Are we walking every day full of life and joy because we know that we've been cared for and covered by you, made whole and made right? You've taken all of the wounding off of our lives and given us new life and a new identity and fresh hope every day, walking in the fresh mercies of God. The new mercies of David is actually what Isaiah says, the fresh, unending mercies of David. They're new every morning. Where we're just undone by the love of Jesus. The ability to love the world well to love our brother that we deeply disagree with well, to love our sister that we can't get on the same page with well. But it starts not with winning the argument. It starts, Lord, with just being undone by your radical love over our lives and coming into a new identity. And so I just want to pray that over us even this morning. And for us just to begin to ask the question, Father, will you tell me how much you love me? 
Would you just ask that question? You guys that are joining us online, you guys are here in the room. Would you just open your hands and ask the question, Father, would you just tell me how much you love me? Just ask him. What do you say over, what do you say about my life? What do you say over me? Just ask him that. Lord, we want to be undone by your radical love. Do you anchor your word in our heart this morning? Anchor it just right now. Ask him to put it down, ironclad. Full belief. No doubting. Would you guys stand with me? We're just going to finish in an opportunity of worship, just declaring the love of God over our lives. We're meant for so much more than winning arguments. We're meant for bringing the life of the King everywhere we go. Bringing his love and mercy and goodness and inviting people into it. Lord, would you show us what it means to know your love and to give your love away? This morning, even just, would you just ask him that? Lord, let me know your love and give it away faithfully. Let me receive it and walk in it and let me give it away fully. With zero reservation. Let me love people well. Father, I'm asking that you would grant that to us as a church. That we'd be able to walk in the fullness of what you have for us. That we'd be the answer that the world is so desperately looking for. Being able to point people to you father or friend we love you God and we thank you for this moment we're going to worship here and I just want to encourage you make this your prayer we often say that we sing songs but these songs are meant to stir our hearts for truth let's sing the truth ask God to make his true in our lives let's worship